0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. When in doubt, wait.
1: Don't rush ahead of God on the impulse of the moment. Just wait on the Lord. I have always regretted going against that check. I have never regretted waiting when I've had that check. God will give you sometimes a yellow light to slow down and proceed with caution. Sometimes God will give you a red light, stop.
0: And then sometimes God will give you the green light, go ahead. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. Whenever we face a trial or go through a struggle, one of the last things we want to hear is to be patient and wait. Wait. For many of us, patience is something we struggle with regardless of our situation. In today's message, Pastor J.D. reflects on the patience and faith of Esther and teaches us the importance of waiting on the Lord. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Esther chapter 5 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 4.
1: So Esther answered. (laughs) Imagine how relieved she is. If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So... The king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? And he says it again, he repeats it, Up to half of the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. Notice how eloquently, how magnificently, how beautifully she says this if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Is... Uh, Esther having like second thoughts here? Is she losing courage, losing heart? I mean, she just had the courage and the faith, the holy boldness, if you will, to approach the king uninvited, willing to perish. And now she has them there at the banquet, and the king reiterates his willingness to give her up to half of the kingdom. And she's like, I'll tell you tomorrow. (laughs) Is she cowering in fear? Absolutely not. It might seem like that at first read, but upon closer examination, this is not fear. This is wisdom, as we'll soon see. This is remarkable wisdom. And the reason I believe that and say that is because, think about this, Esther And all of her people with her have just got done praying and fasting for three days. You don't think they've heard from the Lord? You don't think they've received wisdom from above? I think of what James said. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give you wisdom and he will be so generous. He will not withhold any wisdom. He will give you all the wisdom you need. And the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then easy to be entreated, and full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy or partiality. That's the wisdom that she received during that time of praying and fasting. Let me once again hasten to say that one of the things God has been really ministering to me uh, in recent months is the power of prayer and fasting. Now I want you to be careful, sometimes you have to, there are many different kinds of fast, there are some medical considerations when it comes to fasting. Some people just do a liquid fast. I, when I was younger, I used to be able to fast longer, but the most I can go now, before I, you know, my brain starts shutting down, which doesn't take much <laughs> for that to happen, but is about three days, three days and two nights. About that third night, I, I've got to break the fast. Sometimes I'll fast for a day and a night, and, and regularly and consistently. Uh, it's not that when you... I don't want to get into the whole thing on fasting, but prayer and fasting is so powerful. Prayer and fasting is humbling oneself before God and asking of God for Anything. And God hearkens unto the voice of our cry when we humble ourselves before him in prayer and fasting. And that's what fasting is. It's humbling oneself before the Lord as is prayer. And it's so powerful. And she heard from God. She was on the receiving end of the wisdom from above And God ministered this to her. I really, truly believe with all my heart that God put it on her heart in that moment to wait one more day. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, doubtless, Esther longed to bring out her secret, but the words came not. God was in it. It was not the right time to speak, and therefore she was led to put off her disclosure. And boy, aren't we glad she did because of what is about to happen, as we'll see next. I would suggest that by Esther doing this, she was obeying a pause and a check that God gave her in her spirit. And I want to explain what I mean by that. This is another thing I'm learning. I'm learning the hard way. I got the scars to prove it. Never go against that check that God puts in your heart. I like what Oswald Chambers once said, when in doubt, don't. When in doubt, wait. Don't rush ahead of God on the impulse of the moment. Just wait on the Lord. I have always regretted going against that check. I have never regretted waiting when I've had that check. God will give you sometimes a yellow light to slow down and proceed with caution. Sometimes God will give you a red light, stop. And then sometimes God will give you the green light, go ahead. I think God was giving her a yellow light to slow down and wait. He gave her that check. He gave her that pause. Why? Well, unbeknownst to Esther, God is working behind the scenes and setting everything up that very night. That very night. So much is about to happen in the span of about 12 hours. You know this whole thing is going to play out in about 48 hours? Tonight, we're going to be looking at a timeline of 48 hours, and so much happens, and God is moving behind the scenes, and He is doing exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that Esther could have ever even imagined, let alone asked. She's going to go before the king, she's going to have them come to this banquet, and she's going to ask the king to spare her people, What's interesting is, she's not going to ask the king to deal with Haman. God's going to take care of that too, and then some, because not only is God going to, through her, get the king to deal with this matter of sparing her people, He's also, in a profound way, going to deal with this Haman. And not only is he going to deal with this Haman, he's also going to reward Mordecai. He's going to do all of that in the span of about 12 hours. And Esther has no idea what's about to happen. And so that's why God has given her this check in her heart. Just wait. Just wait, Esther. Now's not the right time. Sometimes it's just not the right time. The timing of God is such that he's never late, and conversely, he's never early either. Never rush ahead of God. If there's just even the slightest doubt that God is in it at that moment, you wait. You wait. You wait on the Lord, and you see what the Lord is going to do. And boy, is he about to do something amazing here. So, verse 9, Haman went out that day joyful, <laughs> and with a glad house. He He is clueless with a capital C. But, this is short-lived, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him. He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, <laughs> and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Uh, this is going to be an interesting dialogue, as we'll see here in a moment. So, um, interesting, uh, I want to point something out here. Do you see the hand of God here? This is, again, God ruling over all and overruling all by restraining Haman from reacting to Mordecai at that very moment. And he could have, by the way. He's been given the authority, and God stops him, and God restrains him as only he can. Why do I point that out? Because this one truth should be of such great encouragement to every single one of us, because it's a much-needed reminder of how God restrains the Hamans of this world. God overrules all and rules over all, and here's the truth, the enemy cannot touch even one hair on our head, which for me is becoming less of an issue, unless and until God allows it. And here's the thing, God will only allow it if it ultimately serves His purpose in the end. The devil is God's devil. And the devil can do nothing to us unless God allows him. And God will never allow the enemy to do anything to us unless in the end it fulfills his purpose and his plan. Now, verse 11, Then Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promised or promoted him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. Yet all this, verse 13, avails me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. I can't wait until that date that we cast lots, so that we can get rid of these Jews. This is a bragfest, isn't it? This Haman has a an I problem, everything is I, 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 me, me, me. And that's because he has this insatiable thirst for power and prestige. And that's how it is for the Hamans of this world, those who seek to be successful in the eyes of the world. The problem is they'll never be satisfied. Actually, instead of being satisfied, it's the exact opposite. They only become emptier and more dissatisfied, and the reason is because that's the way God has made us. God has made us in such a way that He is the only way and the only one who can satiate the hunger and the thirst of our souls. Like Jesus to the woman at the well, if you drink from this water, you will thirst again. I like how one described that you can take whatever that prominent passion is in your life, and you can write these words, if I drink of that, I will thirst again. And what Jesus was saying is that the water that I have to give It's the water of life. It's the spiritual water. It's the only water that will quench the thirst of your soul. It is the only water that will satiate that hunger and that thirst that I made you to have. I'm the only one that can fill it. Adam Clark said it best this way, The soul was made for God, and nothing but God can fill it and make it happy. And that's just the way it is. I want to point something else out here and it's related to Haman being so full of himself. You know that somebody is so full of themselves and so full of pride when everything is about them. That there is this sort of built-in vanity that it's all about them, the world revolves around them, And certainly that's the case with Haman. And by the way, this is why when Mordecai doesn't bow down before him, he becomes enraged. Don't you know who I am? Reminds me of many years ago on the mainland, my wife was uh, friends with this flight attendant who uh, worked in first class. And she had this one guy that just, I mean, was so full of himself. And he says to the flight attendant, he says, Excuse me, don't you know who I am? And this flight attendant, as witty as she was, she just says, Well, I'm so sorry, sir. I will check around. And she pulls back the curtain, you know, between first class and and coach. She says, Excuse me, does anybody know who this is? Really? Who, Who do you think you are? Oh, excuse me, you think the whole world revolves around you? Okay, we'll bow down to you then. They are their own God. They have become their own God. They have made God in their own image, and they worship themselves as such. And that's what Haman is. That's who he is, and that's why he is the way he is. He has been fully given over to pride. And he becomes the poster child for the ultimate fall and subsequently the ultimate destruction. And that's exactly what's going to happen to him by the end of tonight's Bible study. Lest we become self-righteous and indignant as we're all prone to become. We talk about Haman with such a disdain in our voice. What a wicked man. Well... Maybe we would do well to consider ourselves. How about this as an example? You're at church, and you walk by somebody, and they don't say hi to you, and you become incensed. Wow, what's that about? Is that a Mordecai? And are you a Haman? Oh, to be sure, that pride dwells in me when I am like that. Someone doesn't acknowledge me. Someone doesn't honor. Don't they know who I am? No. (laughs) We'll try to find out if anybody does, but apparently um, you think more highly of yourself than you ought, and you're more full of yourself than you ought And by the way, uh, sir, ma'am, I can write the next chapter in the book of your life for you, because that's how it ends for the Hamans of this world. Verse 14, then his wife said, she's all just, I mean, incensed, and he goes home. He can't enjoy this invitation to this next banquet that he alone was invited to by the queen, only the king with him. And he can't enjoy it. And so his wife Zeresh, what a sweetheart. (laughs) And all of his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, 75 feet. You can do the math. I'm six feet tall and shrinking, so just six times whatever. 75 feet, that's quite a ways up there. And in the morning, first thing in the morning, honey, uh, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman. Of course it did. So he had the gallows made. I don't think he slept that night in anticipation of going first thing in the morning to the king so that he get this Mordecai dealt with once and for all. I don't want to be too graphic, but I think it would be good to understand a little bit about how evil and cruel these gallows were. I know in the movies, <laughs> and I watched one, I wish I didn't, because it's so incorrect, and it's, it's not true to the biblical text, but, you know, they show the, the, the hangman's loose, the rope. That's not what this was. This was a 75 foot high stake that they would impale them on, not hang them on, impale them on. The only thing I can think of that would even come close to the cruelty and the evil would be the Roman crucifixion. Uh, and I would, Suggest that this might even be more cruel than even crucifixion. Uh, By the way, keep in mind, this is what the Amalekites would do to the Israelites. They would impale them. They would put, again, I don't want to get too graphic. Let me let Adam Clark do it for me. Here's his description. Listen to this. A pointed stake is set upright in the ground, and the culprit is taken, placed on the sharp point, and then pulled down by his legs till the stake that went in at the fundament passes up through the body and comes out through the neck a most dreadful species of punishment in which revenge and cruelty may glut the utmost of their malice. The culprit lives, and this is why it's so evil, the culprit lives a considerable time in excruciating agonies. They don't die that quickly once they're impaled on these these gallows. And this is what Haman wants to do to Mordecai, the Jew. This is what he wants to do to him. Well, chapter 6, verse 1, That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles. Boring! (laughs) And they were read before the king. Boy, that'll put you to sleep if anything will, right? Reading the chronicles. Well, a couple thoughts here on... Verse 1, the first of which has to do with the king's insomnia. I mean, obviously, this is a divinely appointed insomnia. It was God who kept this king from sleeping that night.
0: Thanks for being part of our time here today on In Spirit and Truth. We'd love to stay connected with you, so visit InSpiritandTruthRadio.com today. You'll find a link to our Twitter page where you can join the conversation and fill your feed with encouragement. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website in as well as more information about who we are as a community of faith. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at in Simply click listen on the top of the page to find a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. in various books of the Bible. Along with that, we invite you to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update. The Mideast Prophecy Update is a focused look at current events through the lens of prophecy. The Bible has given us clear indications of what's to come, and we can see these events being played out around the world. Join Pastor JD each Friday and Saturday for the Mideast Prophecy Update on our YouTube channel, or download our mobile app to have these updates right at your fingertips. Find a link at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com dot We're so glad you tuned in today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor JD has much more to share from the Old Testament book of Esther when you join us again right here on In Spirit and Truth.
1: In Spirit and Truth.